But uh, we get to hear a Devo from a sweet brother, um, one who I've not known for very long, but the time that I have, a very diligent man. Um, one who is uh, definitely dedicated to what he does and someone we can absolutely learn from. And even the short time that I've been around him, I've uh, just been able to glean so much from. And I know he's going to speak to us um, in a powerful way tonight. And so I would ask that your ears would be open and ready, family, to receive uh, the Devo that is given. Amen? So let's uh, welcome Brett. Uh, come on. All right, first I'd like to open uh, with a word of prayer. So, Father, we're so thankful tonight that uh, you give us this coffee shop to come and worship you and learn about you every week. Um, would you please bless them? Um, you know, they give us a sanctuary every week that we can come and be safe. Uh, Father, I'd ask you that you fill this place with your spirit tonight and just prepare our minds and our hearts for what you have to share with us. We ask these things in your name. All right, we're going to be in uh, Hebrews 6, uh, starting with verse 13. Uh, just a little bit of history on this passage. Uh, the author is speaking to the, uh, the early Jewish Christian church who is fairly immature and uh, in their faith, and they needed to grow. So let's start with, let's see, start with verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. So if we go back to what the story of Abraham and Sarah was, God came to them uh, when Abraham was six, oh, 75 and Sarah was 65, and they had no children. So he promised them that he would give them a son and that through that son they would have many descendants, more numerous than the stars and more numerous than the grains of sand on the beach. Now, it was 25 years later before that promise came true. Now, after they had Isaac was their son, God told Abraham that he had to take Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him. Now, Abraham being faithful did exactly what God commanded. He took Isaac all the way up to the altar stone and was ready to sacrifice him, and God stopped him. Now, Abraham was faithful in that instance, and we can glean a lot from that faithfulness. Abraham took God's promise, and he believed it and applied it in his life. Now, that promise is what it says at the end of verse 14. You will have many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised, and Isaac was spared. Now, Abraham actually thought that, it was likely that he thought that God was going to raise him from the dead and didn't actually believe uh, that he was going to stop him um, at that time. Let's go to verse 16. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs and what was promised he confirmed it with an oath now during that time an oath was as good as a written a written document 
it's the same as when Esau gave his birthright up. It was it was via word. It wasn't written down, but it was as good as being written down. Now it says the unchanging nature of his of his purpose was clear. Now we can trust in God's promise for this very reason. God is perfect and therefore his promises in our life are applicable and we can trust the word of God. Verse 18. God did that so by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Now those two unchangeable things are God's nature and his promise. Now God being completely perfect and righteous and holy we can trust that his word is correct and therefore the bible is correct everything in it is absolutely perfect and we can trust in everything that it says therefore any promise that god gives us we know that he will fulfill it in the same thing abraham trusted god's promise that he wouldn't sacrifice he wouldn't lose his son and he would have many descendants So in the same way, we can trust in our own lives those very same things. You don't have to wonder if God's going to change his plans. He has a plan for you, and he wants you to be able to make application in your life so that you can fulfill that purpose. It's going on to verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's probably one of the greatest promises for me in my own walk, especially during uh, tough times, is we have this hope that the Bible is true and everything God promises promises us is true. And it anchors our soul. Now, I don't know for you guys, but for me, that is extremely comforting, especially when we're going through times of trial or difficulty, that we have God who is all dependable, and we can trust in him, and he anchors our soul. Think about a boat without an anchor. It gets tossed and turned you know, without control. But we have a God who loves us and a God who cares about us. He gave his only son that we might have eternal life. And he gives us the Bible, the Word of God, that we may study, get to know him in a better way, and have, have a secure, just the security in knowing that he's there completely. Now, the end of that, uh, let's see, verse uh, 20. The, originally, the priest had to go and atone. For the sins of the people. Once a year they'd go into the inner sanctuary of the temple and make a blood sacrifice for the people. Now after Jesus was crucified and died, that no longer was there where we had direct access to God. And that's what it's talking about behind the curtain. Because as Jesus was crucified, that curtain was ripped and we had free access to God. Now we have this amazing God who has done all this for us. But let me ask you, why are we not more faithful in everything that we're supposed to be doing for the kingdom. Now, the definition of faithfulness is strict or thorough performance of a duty. Now, think about that in our life. How much more faithful should you be in the walk? Why are we not more faithful? I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why we wouldn't be more faithful, you know, whether it be pride or 
sin in our life or you know laziness. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. So I want to bring up just a couple areas that uh, you know are good application for our life. The first one being prayer. Dan talked about it uh, last week. Is how is your prayer life? Are you getting to know God on a personal level on a daily basis, and are you getting, are you taking the time to get out and spend time one on one with with the Lord? Are you taking the time to get out in a quiet place, you know, alone with God, where it's only the two of you? Are you praying for His will in your life? Are you are you seeking His will? Are you praying for those things, or is, are you just you know praying a little bit here and there, not really paying attention, um, you know, just doing it lackadaisical, you know? The, like he mentioned, the, some of the greatest time and growth you're going to get is through your one-on-one time with the Lord. So I would encourage all of you, if uh, if you're lacking in that area, um, you know, just really commit to it because it's gonna, it's it really will change your life. The next one would be reading your Bible on a daily basis. You know, if you're not doing that. Uh, you know, I, I really encourage you to do that as well. And how you read your Bible. Are you meditating on the Word? Are you really looking to see what the context is and how it applies to your life and actually doing the things that you're learning? So I'd like to go over to Colossians, Colossians 3, uh, starting with verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Now right there it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Are you taking the, the, what you're reading, are you applying it to your life, or are you letting it resonate in your heart? Are you taking it and actually using it? Now, when they say meditate on it, what does that mean? You read it and you try to fully understand it. You let it sit in your heart. You pray about it. You want to know what the true meaning of that passage is and how it applies to your life. Now, keep going from there. Uh, And as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That brings me to my next point. Are you singing, singing psalms, songs, I'm singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God? When you worship, are you doing these things? Or are you just singing the words? Or are you just not doing anything? Our worship time is so powerful when you let yourself go and you take take heed of these words. When you when you give back to God the worship that, that he rightly deserves as the king of all the universe and the Lord of our life. So the, with that being said, the, uh, yeah, exactly, the, with gratitude in your hearts to God. So be giving praise continuously as you worship. Just give it all to God. You know, don't hold back. And then application to your real life. How are you treating others? What are you doing in your workplace? You know, what are you doing with your family, friends, and the rest of the people in your life? That that may be the only Christian that they meet, get to know, you know, and they, they're going to judge you by your actions. So if you're not doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, where everything you do is glorifying to him, and that you give all glory to him, 
some people may not, they would just be turned away from being a Christian or being converted just solely because of your actions. So take a, take a strong look at your life and you know, examine those things. And if you see areas where you're not matching up with what the Word is telling you to do, pray about it and try to change those things so that you would, you would be closer to God and be able to be sanctified in those things. The next area would be money. Now, how faithful are you being with your money? Now, that seems inherently wrong with how I said it because it's true. And most commonly, the area that Christians have problems is when you take that approach, is how am I dealing with my money? It's not your money. It's God's money. And until you realize that, everything else is going to be out of perspective in that area. So if you don't agree with that with that principle that it's God's money and not your money, then you need to spend some time in the scripture because it's just wrong. Now, w- once you take that idea, your ideas on how to spend, how to tithe, you know, what you do, frivolously spending your money, you know, wasting it on things will completely change. So let's go over to Luke. Luke um, 12, verse, I'm sorry, not 12, uh, 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the riches? Now, this has application to all the points I made before, as well as money. If you're not being faithful to what God's asking you and telling you to do, your duty and your your duty and performance, like I mentioned, the definition of faithfulness, how are you going to be any good for the kingdom? And especially, it tells you right there, if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, how are you going to be trusted with r- true riches? The true riches is... Riches from the godly kingdom. So I would challenge you all over the next week, think about these things. Examine your lives. And if, you, if you're seeing any of these things, just truly pray. Medi- you know, find, there's plenty of scriptures. I'd be happy to show you some if you have questions or need advice or, or anything like that. And I'm sure Josh would be as well. Uh, we'd be happy to share those things with you um, and guide you in the right direction if it's something you're struggling with. Um, But realizing those things in your life and trying to make changes so that you grow closer to God and you would be able to be uh, sanctified in your walk as well as your maturity, like the author was writing, uh, your ultimate goal is to be growing closer in your in your walk, more mature in your faith, and um, you know, giving glory to God with everything you do. So let's go ahead and close. Father, we're so thankful for for tonight uh, and your word that your promise gives us an anchor, and we can trust your promise, and that we know your word is true, and the application in our life is so powerful and it can change our lives. We know that you have a purpose for all of us and 
that you want to be dwelling within us. We love you, Lord, and we ask that that you would reveal any sin that we have, that you would be able to take that away and that we would be able to grow closer to you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. You know, family, um, these kind of words that are brought forth um, are probably some of the most practical, real things in life that you're going to face and that you're going to come in contact with. And as I listen to Brett speak, I see these things, this exhortation, as a word for things that I wish it I had learned a long time ago, but through trial and error, that's how things have, I guess, come to pass. I figured out a long time ago, no, not a long time ago, but I remember when I did figure it out, that, hey, spending time with God by myself was the plug to rejuvenate my life. It was what filled me up. And it was not only quiet time sitting before God, allowing my mind to wander. No, but it was meditating on his word, meditating, meditating that word like a cow chewing on grass over and over and over and over, swallowing it, spitting it back up and chewing it some more, swallowing it again, spitting it back up and chewing it some more. Uh Uh-huh. Meditating on the words that have been given. When you meditate, you wash yourself. You brainwash yourself in the word of God. If I want to be brainwashed in anything, it's the wisdom of this, man. Not the TV. Brainwash yourself with that, huh? You sit there and just let it tell you for a couple hours at a time. Just like wash it. Just wash my mind. Just wash it. And the things of the tell. Just wash it. Careful. No wonder you think the way you do sometimes. I've hidden these words in my heart, O Lord, that I what? May not sin against you. Wow. Spending time with Father. Church does not rejuvenate my heart these days. Nope. It's getting alone with Jesus. And having contact with Him. And God speaking to my heart. Something that you guys never know. When I spend time with my God and He speaks to me, you'll never know about it. It's my time with Him. It's what He says to me. It's a powerful move that takes place in my own life. A radical change that happens deep within. Hey, it is the key. And hey, when you're spending time with Christ by yourself and getting to know God through His Word, meditating on it, your life will start to change. When your life starts to change, not by word only, but by deed and action, that people at your workplace would look at you and say, man, something different. There's a change. And isn't it amazing, I say it time and time again, but I'll say it again, that even within the church of God, within the Christian church, that there are some Christians that you just look at and say, man, they're different. Aren't we all Christians? Do we not all love God and chase and pursue Him? Why are some different? 
I remember a guy by the name of Charles, I think his name was. He was the greeter there at my church. And every time I came in on Sunday morning by myself, guess who was there to greet me? Charles. Why do I know his name still? Want to know why? Because when he welcomed me, he was like, how you doing? Didn't know my name. How you doing? Welcome. Welcome. It's so good to see you. Come on in. Come on in. Didn't matter how I was that morning. Hey, my heart was stirred. And I was changed. I was ready to come into the house of the Lord. Just because some man shook my hand and greeted me, welcomed me in with open arms. I was blown away. Something different about Charles, you know? The rest of those Christians who say things like, God bless you. <laughs> I'll pray for you. I've got to get going. You know? It only happens, though, when you pursue the things of God. And that's when people look at your life and are blown away by it and things start to change. And even a very practical thing, being faithful with God's money. Oh, snap. You see there in Malachi chapter 3, God says, you have robbed me. And they say, where? Where have we robbed you? He says, in the tithes and offerings, that's my money. Actually, all the money is mine, and I just give it to you to let you borrow so that you can use it for your life. But everything that I've given you is mine, and I could take it away from you just like that. We must be diligent in all areas of our lives. What a, what a timely word. For this generation, is it not time for us, family, young people? Yeah, why, Josh? Because you know what society teaches you? Hey, don't use cash only. Just swipe the card, man. You can pay for it later. And you keep swiping and you keep swiping and you keep swiping. You keep telling yourself, I'm going to pay for that later. And you definitely pay for it later, but not in the way that you'd like. You pay for it. You pay for it later. You've got to wake up. You've got to be diligent in all things. God will bless you. What a timely word. And I would encourage you, especially you brothers, if you need wisdom or counsel, I would encourage you to go to Brett. Trust the man. As far as those kind of things, very diligent guy, just focused. We've gleaned from him. And there are a couple other brothers here, even within this room, that I continue to glean from in the same direction. Yeah, I need the help too. We're all in this together. Hey, I come up here and speak and do this stuff, but guess what? I'm just one part of the body. There are many members. There are feet. Did you know that? Who cares if I have a mouth if it can't go anywhere? It just sits there all the time. Just jack, yep, 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 yep. We need hands to do things, huh? Yeah. We have brothers and sisters here who are very godly and love the Lord and can teach you much. If you're so willing to learn, it's up to you. You can gain wisdom at a young age if you so choose. Or you can just mess up a lot and figure it out yourself. It's up to you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39 tonight. Isaiah chapter 39. And let's go before our Father and our King. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds in me. And I'm thankful for that. 
And I'm thankful that you keep chasing me, God. You keep following after. You're not going to leave me alone. I'm your child. And you love your kids. And you'll pursue us to the very end. And so tonight we come with ears to hear. We are not going to run from you tonight, God. Tonight we come running to you. Chasing you. Help us, Father, to receive all that you would have for us through your word. Through Isaiah chapter 39. Open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 39, we're actually in the middle of a story that is taking place here. And you know, Isaiah the prophet, this guy, remember he was radical. Hey, he was preaching to the nation. He was preaching judgment. He was singing praises. He's given prophecy about the coming Messiah. He's lighting people up. Um, he really just tells the truth. What does a prophet do? They tell the truth. And the prophets in that day actually speak the words of God. And prophets in this day, I do, I believe, do the same. They speak the truth of God. Now, it's a little different. Thus saith the Lord, be careful. Um, you want to talk for God? You better be careful and make sure you're talking and saying His words. Um, you say that you're speaking for God, you're not. Hey, you're in trouble. Uh, big trouble. But this prophet here was speaking for God in that day, and he's speaking to a man named Hezekiah, as we will look at tonight. Who's Hezekiah? Hey, one of the greatest kings Israel ever had. Mm -hmm. A righteous man who loved God. You know, if you didn't know, as you read through the kings and the chronicles, you will see kings that rose up that would actually rebel against the living God. Hey, they would go into the temple and knock down the things of the living God and they would build their idols and all kinds of crazy stuff. They built these things called groves where the people would go and have sex and do all kinds of wicked things in there orgies and weird stuff going on there within the groves. And they built these big idols that would represent all of these, uh, all of this sin, basically. Money, um, sacrificing to them. Um, it really was sad. But hey, this man Hezekiah stood up in his day and tried to give the things of God to the people. And so we're going to look at the story, and it kind of starts here in 38. And so we're going to jump back a chapter, um, and we're kind of going to move through this. And I just want to pull a couple of principles. I'm kind of excited about this, because we haven't really got to give a story in quite a while. It's been a lot of, you know, as we went through the Psalms, a lot of just straight up just words, words, words. Same thing with Ecclesiastes, just word after word after word. And Isaiah hasn't really been a story. It's been more just word after word after word from God. But now we see a little bit of a picture take place. And the two main characters, Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet. King Hezekiah says there in verse 1, you there? Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amaz, Amaz came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord... Hold on. What happened? Hezekiah is sick unto death. This guy's about to die. He's got a sickness on him. And we'll see what kind of sickness that was. It was some kind of boil upon his body, some kind of disease that was really just taking him down. But Isaiah comes to him when he's sick, and he's basically going to die sick unto death. And he says this. Look at it. The end of verse 1. Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die die and not live you shall die and not live whoa in verse one there is already application this man is sick and he is about to die and what does isaiah say to him 
Get your house in order if you're going to die. Get it in order. Interesting. Everyone in this room, it's a crazy fact, I know. But every single one will die. Huh? I don't want to talk about death, Josh. Don't talk. Hey, let's be honest. There comes a point in life when everyone will die. Yep. It's appointed that everyone would die and then comes judgment. Hezekiah's time was coming very quickly. And what did Isaiah say to him? Get your house in order. Now, it's amazing that these are the words that he says to him, but I think it is timely even for our day now. Hey, you will die. And my answer to you is, what does your house look like? Is your house in order? Well, Josh, I don't have a house yet, you say. Hey, you have some kind of house. Your life is the picture of your house. Is that house in order? Are you ready to die? You could die tonight? Really? Yeah. You could walk out these doors. I would never wish it on anyone. And never come back through these doors. Is your house in order? Is your life in order? Is your life prepared? Are you ready? You know, the more people die, the older I get, the more people die. It's interesting. Because the older I get, the more people I know who are older, who are closer to death. And what I've noticed within my own life is the older I get, the more people I know. And so the more people I know that will actually pass on. When you're young, you don't really think about that stuff. And the first time someone dies, it's a big shock. Snatches you. But as you get older, you start to recognize it's just a part of life. And everyone will. And every time a funeral comes around, yeah, I'm always thinking, man, what will I be remembered by? What will people think when I'm buried, when I'm put in that grave? Josh, are you ready to pass on to the next life? I love to be able to say every day, yeah, Lord, I'm ready to live as Christ and to die as gain. Death, where is your sting? I'm ready. I'm living for you. I'm walking with you. My life's in order. My house is in order. But even more so for the one who has a house and has a family. I hope the house is in order, doing everything that we possibly could to take care of the house. As I've watched men raise children, and as I've watched parents talk about, I don't know what they call it, but it's just this time when they have kids, and it's this time when maybe they have two or three or four kids, and the time from when they're born until they're like 18 years old, it's like this fast journey that just takes off very quickly. It's like you just it just mows by faster than you can even believe. And what ends up happening is life just seems to blast by. I mean, in 10 years, it's just gone that quick. For a child to go from two months to five years is not that long of a time, especially when you're very busy and moving on. Every single day you're looking after something, one thing after another. Time just passes very quickly. Especially when you get in repetition, you know? Start doing things over and over and over. Just do the same thing every day. You repeat things very quickly and it passes by fast. Why am I saying all this? Because I hope that you family, you especially young people who haven't had a family yet, that you'd purpose in your heart even now to start recognizing to have your house in order all the days of your life. 
hey, moment by moment, day by day, start thinking about things like what happens when I get in a fight with my husband or wife? What are you going to do? You're going to get that house in order by the end of the night. When, hey, your kids aren't walking with the Lord or choosing to rebel that day or that week, what are you going to do? You're going to set things in order, get things right, back, focus on. What happens within your own life? You find yourself walking away from the Lord. You're going to get that house in order because you recognize that you will die and stand before God quickly. It used to be a tact I would use on the street all the time. I kind of don't do it as much anymore because I just felt like I was putting the guilt trip on people really fast. People would be like, man, Josh, all right, I'm, you know, your Jesus thing, that's awesome. And you know what? I want to go to heaven when I die. But you know what? I'm not willing to give up the sin in my life right now. And I'd look him in the face and say, how do you know you're not going to die today? What happens if you walk away from me right now? You don't live another day. You stand before God in heaven. He looks you in the face and says, remember that guy Josh Thompson? Just talked to you. Told you to get your life in order. Told you to get things right with God. And yeah, I, I would sell it, man. I would put the guilt trip on him just like that. Bam! You walk away from God and you die, be careful. You may never have another chance. We need to have our lives in order. Amen? That's important. Every single day. And family, if you would start to purpose, Robert, if you start to purpose in your life, if you guys will start to purpose in your heart even now, to start getting your life in order day by day, moment by moment, you will be blessed at the end of your life. Pastor Ralph Arthur, I'll bring up his name again, a pastor that just died at our church. That man was ready to die. Ready. He did a funeral. Was it the day of? Brian, was it the day of or the day before? Day before. He gave. A, he did a funeral the day before, and he gave people an opportunity to come to Jesus. Fifteen people made a commitment to Christ the day before, and then he died the next day and went and met those. Went to be with the Lord. Man, down to the very last day, the very last moment. You know, he was there and he was about to leave the office, I guess. And and he was joking around with the secretaries as he was walking around like, I'm ready to go. Yeah, he was ready. He was focused. He had purpose in his heart. Get your house in order, Isaiah says. You're going to die. Then verse 2, Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall and prayed unto the Lord. Wow. He turns his face towards the wall and prays and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. It's like if I walk up into your life and said, Hey, you're sick. And guess what? You're going to die. Get your house in order because you're going to die. It's over. You don't have any more time. And all of a sudden, it's just like, snap, I don't get another chance to live. That's it. It's game over for me. A lot of people say, I want to know when, I want to, when I'm going to die. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't want to know. Look at this man. You found out he was going to die. As soon as you find out you're going to die, you start regretting a lot of the things that you've done in life. You start to get things in order very quickly. You get cancer one day. I guarantee your life will be turned around radically. Because you recognize you don't have much time. If something jumps on you, it should be a warning to us and an eye-opener 
It's a great blessing as well that you'll be in heaven. You have great hope. You don't have to worry. But Hezekiah wept sore and he cried out to God, Lord, I have been faithful to you. I've done what is right in the sight of the Lord. I, of all the kings, have been faithful to you. And then he just cries and weeps, weeps and weeps. Verse 4, Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, As he sees the man weeping, Isaiah says to him, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, The God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of king of Syria. And I will defend this city. And this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that thou hast spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which is gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backwards. So the sun returned ten degrees by which degrees it was gone down. Interesting. What happens here, Josh? Well, Hezekiah is weeping his eyes out, and the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah. And Isaiah looks Hezekiah in the face and says, Hey, don't cry. God has heard your prayers. And guess what? Because he has heard your prayer, he's going to give you 15 more years to live. 15 years to live. Interesting. And then he says, after I, to prove to you that I'm going to give you 15 years, I'm going to actually turn the sundial back 45 minutes. And I will show you. Go out and watch the sundial. You will see it turn backwards 45 minutes. And it will be a sign to you that I've given you 15 more years of life. Interesting. Now I heard somebody, this is crazy. I heard somebody telling me, I can't remember what they were telling me. If somebody in this room, maybe you can explain it. But somebody was explaining to me how they have been watching the sun and how it's moving and how it's moved around the earth. I'm, I'm sorry, how the earth has moved around the sun and how this rotation has taken place with all the planets. They're trying to explain to me how the scientists were calculating um, this thing with you know, this whole solar system and the planets going around and around and trying to calculate how many years have gone back. I don't know how they do this or what they were doing, but someone was explaining to me that they had mis- they felt like they had miscalculated. Um, they didn't, they couldn't figure out why it seemed like they were missing a certain amount of time or a certain amount of space. It wasn't working out with their mathematics. And all of a sudden, someone, I guess, had brought up something along these lines. Now, I don't know if this is 100% true or not, but I thought it was very fascinating. They said they brought to the table the fact that this time was stopped, or I'm sorry, turned back 40, a few degrees here. I think it says 10 degrees, which is about 45 minutes. And uh, and it would factor in to exactly what they needed for their calculation. Now I don't know if it's true. You can go and look it up. I didn't. I meant to look it up today before, but I just thought it was crazy. I thought it was a little interesting. What I've noticed in the Bible that when God says He does something, uh, He does it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, but um, if you haven't, I got to live there for three months. Yeah, I got to stay there and uh, toured the Middle East. Kind of walked around. It was great times. And this is a little map book right here to the Middle East, okay? It's amazing how accurate it is. Has anyone ever seen a Coney? No, you haven't. A Coney is an animal that the Bible speaks about. It's actually still in Israel today. Yeah. I went over there and I'm like, what the heck is that? 
And I look in the Word, and the Bible says it's a coney. And they still call it a coney till today. Interesting. To the smallest detail. To the very, I mean, very, very accurate. And when the Word says something, it is right. There's no book on the face of the earth that comes close to what this thing, this thing does. And so when it says that, hey, time was turned back 15 minutes, it was. The sun actually moved backwards, I'm sorry, 45 minutes, and it gave him 15 years of life. It was proof. Now his prayer was answered, wasn't it? Give me more life. Please, God, don't destroy your servant. Now, now this is, this is one quick problem here. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. Many times you cry out to God, God, do this for me, please. Hear my prayer, do this. I want this in my life. I need this, I need this, I need that. Do you really? Wouldn't it be a better prayer to pray, God, not my will, but yours be done? Father, you know best. As Rob brought to us just recently. I want what you want. When God speaks and when God says this is going to happen, you say, I don't want that. I want this. Careful. Do you think you know what is better for your life than God knows? Hezekiah thought he did. And the crazy thing about about this is the application that comes with it. Hezekiah lived as a righteous man up to this time. But here within these 15 years, he makes the two biggest mistakes of his life. Wow. Wow, if he would have died, man, he would have just gone to heaven. And hey, his life would have been basically flawless in the eyes of the people. But he chooses, says, God, please, please hear your servant. Have I not been righteous? Have I not lived for you? Give me this request. Don't let me die. I'm crying out to you. Okay, okay. I will give you what you want. Be careful what you ask for. There are many times people pray, God, break me. Make me the person you want me to be. Do whatever it takes. Okay. And someone dies. Hey, a hard time comes. He can't make your payments on a house. Things are strapped. You got to start depending on God. Wow. Maybe you've forgotten many of the prayers that you've prayed, but God has not forgotten. Hey, be careful what you pray. Be always willing to pray, family. The best prayer you could ever pray is what Jesus, our King, prayed, huh? Not my will, but yours be done, Father. Not what I want. Father, I want this right now, but I know what you want is better. Don't give me what I want. Give me what you desire and what you want. Isn't that hard? Can we be honest? Is that difficult or what? I want this, Lord. This seems so promising. This seems so right. This seems so perfect. This is what I want. Be careful. God may give it to you and teach you a lesson. Father, this Range Rover is so sweet. Please, Lord, I know this is the will. such a good price. Please, Lord, come on. Let it work out with the deal. Come on. I would really love this thing. Okay. There you go. Yeah. It's been the biggest burden in my life. Father, take it away from me. Please, get it out of here. I don't want it. I don't need it anymore. Please forgive me. I, I repent. 
Uh-huh. Oh, you learned your lesson, Josh, huh? Yeah, Father, whatever you want. Pinto, whatever you want. I'm ready. <laughs> whatever is best for me, that's what I want. Whatever keeps me humble. Whatever keeps me out of debt. Whatever keeps me focused on the things of the kingdom. That's what I want. And I'm learning just as you guys are learning. I'm in this walk with you. We're in it together, okay? You can't expect me to know all things. I'm just a man. I'm experiencing this life just as you are, moment by moment. Just because I'm the mouth doesn't mean much. All I can do is talk. I need people who are hands who can hold me up. People who are feet who can go where I can't go. We're in this work together. Be careful what you pray for. Hezekiah prayed and God answered. Look at verse 9. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness, this is what he writes. He writes a little journal. Starts telling us. Look at what he says. I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of this residue of my years. I say, I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord, in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. He's complaining because he's going to die. Look at verse 12. Mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd, shepherd's tent. I have cut off like a weaver of my life. He will cut me off with pining sickness. From day even to night wilt thou make an end of me. I reckon till morning that as a lion, so will he break all my bones. From day even till night wilt thou make an end of me. Like a crane or a swallow did I chatter. I did mourn as a dove. Mine eyes fail with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. He's crying out to God in his journal. He's writing this down like, Father, what's going on? I'm sick. Everything's messed up. He's crying out to God. And look at verse 15. What shall I say? He has both spoken unto me and himself had done it. I shall go softly all my years in bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live and in these things is the life of my spirit. So wilt thou recover me and make me to live. Look at him begging God. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it. Thou hast cast all my sins behind my back. For the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The Father to the children shall make known thy truth. Look at this. All of a sudden it starts to turn. He cried out to God and he said, Oh, this misery that comes. But he says, In this day I will praise thee. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore will I sing songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. For Isaiah had said, Let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil and he shall recover. Hezekiah also said, What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? You see that? He writes this in his journal. He's, he's writing down. He's so bummed. He's broken. But then he starts to speak about how God saved him and pulled him up. 
And he starts to praise God for it. And he says, I will sing to him on the stringed instrument. I wonder which one that was. Do you have an electric guitar? Violin? I don't know what kind of stringed instrument. Maybe a harp. I don't know. But he said, I will sing to you all the days of my life forever for what you have done and how you have pulled through. And then he says, the father to the children shall make known thy truth. Verse 19. I shall make known thy truth to my children. What a great promise. What what a blessing we could say to God. Isn't that a great one? I love being able to say to the Lord, Father, you have blessed me so much and pulled through my life in such a powerful way that guess what? I am going to teach my children the ways of the Lord. I'm going to disciple them. I'm going to bring them up. I'm going to pour my life into them, helping them to understand the things of the Lord. What a blessing to God. Would it not be that? Look at the way he's talked in the Old Testament time and time again. I command you to pass these things on to your children. That they would pass them on to their children. That they would meditate on these things day and night. Deuteronomy chapter 6. That it would be upon their hand and their forehead. Yes. What a way to bless God. I think the, one of the best ways I can bless God is number one, to give my life completely to Him. All of me. Say, Father, all that I have, I will praise You and bless You with all that is within me. Number two, to pass that on to my children, to the next generation. It is my duty and it is my mission to lay down my life preaching and teaching the young people of this generation as many as I possibly can. Yes, I desire to see thousands raised up for the kingdom of God, purposing in their hearts to teach their children the ways of the Lord. I was talking with a a brother. Well, he's not necessarily a brother. I call him a brother, but he doesn't know the Lord. Just this last Monday, he's in the Unification Church, which is a cult. Their Messiah, their leader is Reverend Moon. And uh, it's been around for like 30 years. And I looked him in the face and said, Tim, he says, Josh, what is your intent at the end of this? Is it to come and to learn? I said, oh, no, brother. I will listen to everything you have to say. I laid a huge foundation of why I believe what I believe. But I said, my ultimate desire is this, is to see you converted to Christianity. For you to completely recant and to turn away from what you believe in the Unification Church. And not only to do that, but to turn to the 18 people that follow after you, that you are shepherd over. He's leading 18 kids. And I said to look those kids in the face and to tell them that this is not the truth and for you to pull them out of it. And not only go that far, but you to look at your wife and pull her out as well and say, this is wrong. And to stand up for what is true and what is right. I am not in this for anything more than to see you come to Jesus Christ. And he's like, wow. Blown away. Didn't think I'd be that honest with him. But I'm dead serious. And he said, okay. And I said, Tim, I will buy you five or six more coffees to let you sit here and lecture me on the unification principles in order that I would gain you for Christ. And I told him, I said, my brother, if you hang around with me and you stay in that seat and you talk this through with me, you will become a Christian. Your life will be converted in the name of Jesus Christ. You will hear the gospel message and it will penetrate your heart and you'll be changed. He kept telling me over and over, I am blown away by your conviction. 
And I am in awe of the fact that you know why you believe what you believe. And I'm so ashamed that I don't know and I can't give an account for what I say. I don't know why I believe what I believe. The ultimate mission and desire for my life is to pass on the truth. If this generation dies without passing on the truth, the truth dies. Not literally. God can raise up anyone. One of the greatest ways, as Hezekiah said, is to completely give God his life in worship and adoration and then to pass on the truth to the next generation. And then, do you see there at the end? Verse 21, for Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil and he shall recover. It shows the boils that he had on his body. Speaks about some kind of plaster from the fig leaf. Man, hey, anybody in medical school, you should look into it. What's with the fig leaf? What what can that do? It says it right here in the word. Did you see that? Look at it. Read it with me. It says verse 21, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for plaster. You know, make it some kind of... uh, Plaster. <laughs> Make it some kind of jam or, or, or mixture. And put it paste. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Paste. Yeah. And put it upon a boil. Well, I don't know. That's what the word says. There's got to be something to it. Hezekiah also said, what is the sign that I shall go up into the house of the Lord? So the sign, remember, was the dial being turned back 10 degrees, which is 45 minutes. The dial was turned back, and Hezekiah saw it with his own eyes. But look at the way that God healed Hezekiah. Now, God is the one who heals, huh? Medicine doesn't heal, no. There's nothing that you can do that will heal. It is God who heals, but God uses methods like medicine to heal. Who's the one who healed Hezekiah? God. But what did Isaiah tell him to do? Take figs and put it on your boils. And you will be healed. Go dump yourself in the ocean or in that lake seven times and that leprosy will fall off. Why that place? Medicine can be a way that God chooses to heal. Be very careful if someone tells you um, you're healed. Don't take your medicine anymore. Careful! Because I know of a guy that happened to One of my closest buddies, best friends. I think I've told the story before. But a youth pastor prayed for this guy. His name was Philip. And he said, you're healed, man. You don't need to take your medicine anymore. Step out in faith. Don't take it. You know what happened to Philip? He died. Can God not use medicine to heal a man? Absolutely. You think the medicine is man-made? God has made it. God has made the fig. And it was the antidote for this problem. I remember a brother said, Josh, go get orange juice. I'm going to pray for you on the phone. He prayed for me. So mystical, crazy, and radical. I was bedridden. I didn't teach her on that Tuesday night. Brian came and taught for me. I laid there sick in my bed. I don't get sick. I was like, I called up my brother. I'm like, John, I'm sick. What do I do? He's like, I'm going to pray for you, brother. Don't worry. He's from the Congo. This guy's crazy. He really is. He loves God, though. He prays and fasts day and night. He says, go get orange juice. I'm like, okay. He's like, go get a glass of orange juice and come back to the phone. So I go get a glass of orange juice. I'm sitting there. He's like, I'm going to pray. 
that it becomes the blood of Christ and that when you drink it, it will cleanse you. I'm like, okay, that's random and out there and I don't know how to receive that. But okay. He prayed, I drank it, and the next morning I woke up fine. And I went to work. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't get up and walk. I was dizzy. I was weak. It jumped up on me. That so happened to be the way that God healed. Here it was figs. Me, it was orange juice. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 39, look at it with me. The story continues on. At that time, this weird name, Murodakbaladan, the son of Baladan, interesting, (laughs) king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them, and he showed them the house of the precious things. Stop there. Hezekiah, remember, is sick. The king of Babylon, who is what? An enemy, sends him a get-well card. Huh. That's so funny. So random. Think about the person maybe who doesn't like you the most. All of a sudden, randomly, a complete enemy. They find out you're doing bad, and they send you a get-well card. Something fishy. What's going on here? And there was something fishy going on here. Sends him a get-well card. Hezekiah, one of the biggest mistakes of his life. Here it is. He invites the king of Babylon and his people to come over and to check out his kingdom. Look what it says, verse 2. And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them the house of precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor. And all that was found in his treasures, there was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Wow. He invited the enemy over to his house and showed him everything that he had. It's like, oh, come check out my safe. Check this out. This is what you do. You, you, you take the little picture and you move it back and, and watch, you know, like, let me show you all the money in my safe. You fool. What are you doing? Again, be careful what you pray for. See, Hezekiah would have never made the mistake if he would have just simply died. It was the word of the Lord from Isaiah, but he said, no, don't let me die, don't let me die. Fifteen more years, he gets, and look at this mistake he makes. What is he doing? Maybe feeling a little uh, prideful and arrogant in the fact that God had given him fifteen more years. I'm going to live fifteen more years. I'm going to make a big difference. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite the king of Babylon over. Maybe try to make a treaty with him. Maybe try to make friendship. I'm going to show him everything in the kingdom. What are you doing? You, family, there's great application here. You've got to be careful who you link yourself with. I've noticed as I've looked into brothers' lives and people around me, as I've been in ministry for a little while now, when people link shields with people who don't walk with God and show them all of their life, you're in trouble. Why would you bear your soul to someone who does not know the living God? What are you doing? What a foolish thing to do. You think they're going to counsel you in the things that are godly? Why would you go to a psychiatrist who does not even know God? Why would you go to one who does not even give you biblical counseling? You think they're going to tell you something because they've studied the mind? You think they know the mind better than God? Careful. Hezekiah is allowing the enemy to come in. You must be careful with this. I've seen it with some of my closest friends where they have stopped hanging out with the ones who seek God and seek His face and start hanging out not even hanging out like on a regular basis outside, but just simply at work. That's all they hang out with is those people. And I talk about those people as if they're the enemy. And the truth is, 
they're the enemy of God, yes. And they would be our enemy as well. Now, I'm not saying you need to look down on people like, you're the enemy. Don't do that. Don't do that. But be careful who you make ties with. And I've seen one of the closest friends to me be drifted away and thinking the craziest things. I can't even believe it. How did you get there? You're so focused. You had such a sound mind on the things of God. Your life was righteous and set apart. You were so focused and had such prosperity in your life because you walked according to the things of God. But just small things coming in little by little, slowly drifting away, allowing the enemy to come in, starting to reveal. Don't reveal the deep, dark secrets of your life to anyone but someone who trusts and loves God. Be careful to show your life. Why would you do that? I see people in relationships all the time bear their souls to non-believers. What are you doing? Girls, why would you ever get close to someone who does not love God? Well, he's cute. That's cool. You know what I've learned? In my, I don't know, it's probably been 10, maybe like 14, I started scoping out babes, checking out chicks. (laughs) And all the time what I've recognized is I've traveled the world that there are a lot of beautiful people in the world. Well, he's cute. He's not the only cute one. No, 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 there's none cuter than him. No, you don't understand. She just, just the way that she is with me, man, you don't get it. She doesn't even know God. No, but you just don't understand. You fool. Why would you link yourself? Why would you even begin to expose yourself to someone who is not yoked with you? Equally yoked. On the same level. Hezekiah, what are you doing? Why are you inviting the king of Babylon who is nowhere near? on the level that you are with God, why would you do that? Who knows why he's doing what he's doing, but he's doing it, huh? And who knows when I sit in a counseling room across the table and I say, you need to break this off in the name of Jesus right now. I can't do it. Okay. Then look what will happen to you. Let's read on. It says there in verse 3, Then came Isaiah the prophet, the king of Hezekiah, to the king of Hezekiah, and said unto him, What said these men? From whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. So Isaiah says, Dude, where did these guys come from? And he's like, They came from Babylon. Then he said, verse 4, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, All that is in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. They said, Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in a store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be less, says the Lord. And thy sons shall issue from thee, which thou hast begat, and shall they take away, or they shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, wait, before I, before I get there, don't read that, verse 8. Look what's happened. Isaiah walks up after, hey, the king of Babylon has come over and slapped it up with Hezekiah, became buddy-buddy, homeboys. It's like, what are you doing? Isaiah says, Hezekiah, what just happened? Who are those guys? Oh, no, buddy. 
They're just uh, some guys who came from a far land, you know, from Babylon. Babylon? Then Isaiah says, what did you show him in the house? He's like, um, I showed him everything. I showed him everything. What? You showed him everything? Okay. Because you've showed them everything, you know what's going to happen? Your whole kingdom's going to be taken from you. The king of Babylon will come in and take all of your house. He will destroy everything. He will snatch up all of your goods. And your kids will be taken away. They will rebel. You know who's the next king to rise up? King Manasseh, who was, guess whose son? Hezekiah, the king that we're looking at right now. What did Hezekiah do and promise to the Lord? I will teach my children all the things of the Lord. Guess what Manasseh did? He was the most wicked king Judah had ever seen. His son, one of the most righteous kings to ever walk the earth, his son was one of the most wicked kings ever because he did simple things like make mistakes with linking arms with the enemy. So all of his treasures were taken away, number one, and his children rebelled. Two mistakes. The two biggest mistakes of his life were in the last 15 years of his life. Number one, his kingdom fell because he allowed the enemy to come in. And number two, his own children turned from the Lord because he did not obey what the Lord had told him to do. But nonetheless, a righteous man says what at verse 8? Look at this. This is incredible. I can't believe this statement that he says. Wait, wait, wait. Before you read it, let me say this to you first. What if I looked you in the face and said, because what, it, what you've just done, you're going to lose everything. And your kids are going to rebel against God. They're not going to walk with the Lord. They're going to be taken to Babylon. You would probably be in tears and broken. But look what Hezekiah says. I can't believe it. Verse 8, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. He says, what the Lord has said is good. Notice, notice the parallel. What is the first thing that God said to Hezekiah? What was the first thing that he said to him? The first thing Isaiah said to Hezekiah was, you will die. And what did Hezekiah say? That's not good. That is not good. I don't want this. Please don't bring this upon me, Lord. No, please. My will be done. My will be done. I want what I want. Let this happen to me. Give me 15 years. The Lord gives him 15 years. And tragedy comes. And then Isaiah looks him in the face and says this. You will lose everything and you will even lose your your family. The second word of the Lord brought to him. And what does Hezekiah say this time? That word is good. Wow. I think he's learned his lesson. I think he figured it out. And I hope it would be a word and a lesson for us tonight. Family, if God is speaking something to your life and you choose to rebel and say, I don't want that. Careful. When you choose to push the things of God away and say, my will, my will, my will be done. Be careful what you pray for because you might get it. Hezekiah got it. Notice he does not pray another prayer after that. He does not say, oh God, please, no, 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 give me this, give me this, give me this. No, he does not. He is fine with what the Lord gave him. It reminds me of our King Jesus. Look at what was bestowed upon him. The sin of the entire world placed upon him. 
And what did he say? If there be any way, let this cup pass. But, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I will drink this cup down, Father, because it is what is right and perfect and honest. And when God says something to you, like break off that relationship, like quit that job, like you need to go and build that relationship, you need to go and make things better in that situation, you say, no, no, not your will, but my be done, Father. Let me have, please, don't let me do that. God says, hey, my will is the best. It's the perfect, it's the right way. Careful. Careful to wish the things upon your life that you want and not what God wants. If you do, you may get 15 more years. It may be the worst decisions of your life. Careful. Receive the word of the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ and pray that prayer for the rest of your life. Every time you bring something to Father, Lord, I want to marry that person. Careful. Not my will, but yours be done, Father. You know what's best. Lord, I want that house. Careful. You want it? Lord, I need that Range Rover. Careful. Not my will, but yours be done. Lay things at the feet of God, and He will bless you. He will take care of you. Do you want your way, or you want God's way? God's way may be more difficult in the moment, but in the end, you'll be blessed. Amen? Father, I thank you for this group. And we have heard the word of the Lord for us tonight. Father, as Hezekiah was a man that sought your face, the Lord was really dedicated to you, a man so righteous in his days, how could he possibly fall? How could he possibly turn from you and want what he wants and not what you want? Oh, Lord, help us to learn from him. Even a most righteous man is that. God, is there any even who come close to that man here in this room? We are all capable of falling and messing up. And Lord, we pray right now in our own lives. Can we pray, not my will, but yours be done? Can we say that together, family? Just please, in unison, let's say say together, say to Father, not my will, but yours be done. One more time, please. Not my will but yours be done. Father, not what we want in our lives, but what you want is what is right. And so show us your way that we may walk with you. Teach us your ways and your principles that we may know you. That we would be blessed all the days of our lives. Father, don't give us 15 years. God, I pray for this group, the things that they ask, that Lord, they would always ask for the rest of their lives. Always asking that your will would be done above theirs, that they would never cry out to you in agony and in weeping, begging you for something that you would say no to, begging you for something when you have been clear. Please, Father, let them ask only according to your will. Bless them and keep them. May your face shine upon them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Love you guys. And guess what? I want the best for you. Really do. And so, um,
And may God be with you. As you go tonight, let's apply the word of the Lord. Amen? As Brett has given us practical wisdom, let us apply right now in this moment. As we start to pray for one another, as we pray for ourselves tomorrow morning in devotions, hey, we know how to pray. Let's learn from the example of Hezekiah. He was a great man. And when you see him in heaven, you'll be able to go up and shake his hand and say, thank you. Thank you for letting us learn from your life. Let us learn tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week.